Well, God's amazing grace never gets old, does it? Last Sunday, we talked about forgiving on purpose. Today, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're headed to the book of Genesis, chapter 41, and we'll be looking at planning on purpose today. Planning on purpose. Genesis, chapter 41, and we're going to start a reading today in verse 41. So Genesis 41, verse Number 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, this is his nickname, Zaphnath Paania. Now, Joseph's pretty easy, right? <clears throat> Have you ever known somebody whose nickname was like 18 times harder than their name? That's happened to him. And he gave him to wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, and the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. Today we're going to talk about planning on purpose, and let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and its value in our lives still today, thousands of years after Joseph lived. We thank you that you are the living God and that you're the sovereign God, that you give us everything that we need to serve in your kingdom. We pray that you would guide us in this message and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please listen to this song? Just suppose God searched through heaven, couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice. Calvary had it not 
for the old rugged cross had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul would be lost and I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter Thank you, Robbie, for that message and song this morning. Well, I'm sure that we have in the room here today some people who are ultra-organizers. And you have your life fully in order. Uh, within mere seconds, you could tell me what is scheduled for your life three weeks from tomorrow at 9.15 a.m. And I see some of your brains right now. You're like, oh, yeah, got that. I'm there. Um, I, in fact, I've got 9.20 planned already, three weeks from tomorrow. Uh, there's another group that see the need for that kind of organization, but doesn't ever seem to get to that point. And I happen to be in this group. Uh, I have all the gadgets to keep my life organized, but sometimes I forget to use them to keep things planned. And uh, Several years ago, I had this vision one night, I was having a dream or something. And I woke up thinking that my wife was going to buy me an iPad for my birthday. And, it, and my birthday was coming up, and so I was certain that this was going to happen. And um, 
And then she didn't. And, and so then I kind of told her my dream, and she was, you know, disappointed that she had gotten me the wrong gift. And so she cleared it all up at Christmas. And uh, so I got an iPad, I was ready to go, and I got the little stand from my desk, and life is going to be all in order now. I have every app known to man that can plan your life. If you go look at my desk right now, you know what's on there? A pad of paper. <laughs> I have gone back to paper. Um, and I, so I used the paper, and then I put it in the thing. I'm, I'm just not great at organization. And so, so I'm part of that second group. Um, then there's another group, the third group. And I will ask you to be bold and identify yourselves here this morning. Uh, you are called the anti-organization crowd. Planning is no good to you. Order is contrary to your nature. How many are there? Be bold. Let's go right here. Okay, yeah. Just, just for curiosity's sake, let's find out who all those ultra-organizers are. Okay, how many of you are the ultra people? Yes, we hate you. We all hate you. All right. And isn't it weird how God puts sometimes an organizer with a non-organizer in life and sometimes how that works? And I see Connie Patton, dear Jim's arm down there. And, um, you know, that's how God does it with, with couples sometimes. God gives one couple who is very organized and one who's not so much. And then God sometimes gives couples where they're both ultra-organized and you don't want to live in that house. I mean, that's just not the place you want to be. So, so you got all three groups when it comes to organization. Whatever level of organization you seem to have in your life, the ability to organize and plan comes directly from God. And in your Bible reading sometime, just read the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers sometime. God gave detailed instructions of how to wash clothes, of how to remove mold from a house, of what you're supposed to do with various things in your tent, of exactly how many wagons they were supposed to use to carry something. God gave detailed, organized instructions in the Bible. I mean, you could just go to the simple Genesis 6 where God told Noah how to build an ark. And he told him, okay, it needs to be 300 cubits long, and it needs to be uh, like 75 cubits wide and 45 cubits high or whatever it is, 30 cubits high. And it, exact dimensions that God gave him. Um, God is the master planner. He's the master builder. He's the master organizer. And he tells us that he wants things, he, he really wants things to be done decently and in order. Not, not just in our personal lives, but in the local church. And, and there's a certain vision that's required to plan the way God wants us to plan. That vision comes only through the spiritual nature. And what we're going to see from Scripture today is that God blesses planning that is for His kingdom and His glory. But God considers all other planning to be useless, even foolish. Now, if I had to ask up front today what most of our planning is regarding, sometimes it's not the kingdom of God. And by definition in Scripture, we're going to find out that what that means is it's useless. It's futile. 
It doesn't take us where we need to go. Today we get to visit the life of Joseph for a sermon. And Joseph is one of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible. Sold by his brothers to be a slave when he was 17 years old. He ends up becoming the second in command of an entire empire in the world. The Bible portrays Joseph as one of the greatest planners in history. And we know Joseph was blessed enormously by God after much suffering. But the key to his management was one thing. It was that he remembered it was someone else's kingdom. That was the key to all of his management. And we're going to see that here this morning. There's notes provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first part of the message that we'll get into is his station is found. His station is found. Go back with me in Genesis 41 to verse 40. Look what Pharaoh says. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Do you know the process of, of planning and organization starts at a very young age. And I can walk around the buildings here on our property with our ministries on a weekday and see that process. Now you can walk over in the beginner building by the baby room and you might hear the early stages of organization taking place. Ball, which is my niece's favorite word, by the way. Ball. Um, or you may hear chair or cap or bottle or dada or mama. Or, you know, some of them even say the teacher's names before they say their mom's names. And that's rude. That's really rude. Um, but, but then you go from the babies to the toddlers, and the toddlers step it up a little bit. And you may see them red, green, blue. And, and then you go to the threes room, and they go even further. Big, little, high, low, hot, cold. And the fours really go to town. C-A-T, cat. Right? And the fives, 10, 20, 30, 40. And you could keep going all the way through until you find kids upstairs doing physics problems or verb conjugations or animal di dissections. And, and there's organization that we are taught our entire lives. Our brains, so perfectly designed by God, have the ability to sort and store incredible amounts of information. They really do. Uh, have you ever been trying to find something in your brain? Like, where did that go? Where did I put that thing? You're trying to look for that post-it note in your brain, and you can't remember which file you put it in? I've been there, and uh, I know some of you are with me. Some of you young people, you'll get there. You'll get there. I mean, it's going to happen. So you know, the, the brain holds all this information, though. And, and knowing, if you kind of go back to that basic thought... Knowing the sound and the spelling of your own name is one of the most basic things, right? Your parents named you, and then as you began to, to get, you know, two years old, you began to learn your own name. And when you began to be three, they'd have you write dot to dot how to spell your name on a piece of paper, and you had no idea what it meant. Uh, I remember when, when our kids were little, and at Dawson, we'd try to get him to spell his name, and he would say, you know, like, B-R-L, Dawson. Right? Okay, you're not quite there, but we'll keep working on that. None of those letters are in your name, but it's okay, big guy. 
We're going to make it happen. And so now he can spell his own name, but you won't be able to read it because he can't write legibly. And if you're any of his teachers in here today, God bless you. Um, a kid can't write worth a nickel. But, but anyway, just throwing that in. Is he in here today? Oh, he is. Love that kid right there. Love that boy. Um, but, but we learn our name and we learn how to write our name. And, and it's so important that we do those things. But knowing your name and knowing who you are can be totally different things. And if you think you're anything special on your own, you have identity issues. If you think you have your own kingdom to live for, you have a problem with your identity. Joseph was given a position by Pharaoh that he could never have gained by his own merit. How could a Jewish young man that had been a slave now be second only to Pharaoh? I tell you, it wasn't because of him, it was because of his God. And it, most of you know the story of Joseph. And you know that he grew up the favorite son of his father. He was hated by his jealous brothers because of his father's affection. He was sold to a band of merchants when he was only 17 and taken to Egypt. And in Egypt, he quickly understood uh, very well that he had to be under authority to ever be in authority. You know, we're all under authority. Even when we get to these certain places in life where we think, I'm free! No more authority! I'm free! You're still under authority. And you find out really quickly you're under authority. You just go do whatever you want. Go ahead. Go do whatever you feel like doing and see how far it gets you in life. You will find out quickly you're under authority. And we're all under God's authority. And, and so Joseph modeled this so well. Look at Genesis chapter 39. He understood what his station in life was. God had put him in a place. God had given him a role. And he was willing to live where he was placed. Um, some people have said it's willing to bloom where he was planted. Look at Genesis 39, verse number 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in, look at this, the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, this verse is so profound because here's the deal. You don't have to have your own house to be prosperous. That's what that verse says. That verse says that no matter whose house you work in, if the Lord's with you, you're prosperous. All right? So it wasn't his own house. It was his master's house. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the, the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Look at verse 6. And it talks about his master again. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person, and well favored. So, so here he is in Potiphar's house, and he's the master of the house, and he takes care of everything. The master has no idea what he has. He, he has no idea what his own inventory is. Joseph is fully in charge of it all. The master sits down to breakfast, and all he worries about is eating what's in front of him. He doesn't know what the grocery bill is. He doesn't know how many groceries there are. Joseph is taking care of the whole thing. By the way, that's how it is in real life too until you leave your parents' house. 
And then somebody has to buy the cereal that you've been eating your whole life. Somebody has to buy those big boxes of Pop-Tarts that you go through like seven a day. You can tell I have teenagers and I'm bitter about it. Um, somebody has to pay for all those things that you enjoy. Part of those 35,000 cookies that you will enjoy in your lifetime. Somebody's got to take care of it. And so Joseph is prosperous because God's with him. Now, verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. So she tried to entice him. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's a message in and of itself. Tremendous passage of Scripture dealing with sin and temptation and enticement. But suffice it to say this, Joseph didn't let authority go to his head. Joseph didn't let his position become bigger than he was. Joseph continued to be prosperous uh, in God's eyes. Now, this woman was a bitter, mean woman. And when Joseph would not succumb to her enticement, she lied about him and had him thrown in prison, down in a dungeon. And I'm sure it was not a pleasant dungeon there in Egypt. But we find him in the dungeon. Look at verse number 20, same chapter. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Look at this in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. So once again, blessings have nothing to do with possessions, and they have nothing to do with location. God can make you successful no matter where you are, who you're with, or what part of the world you're in. God is the one who gives success. He's the one who hands out our station in life. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now look at verse 22. This, this is great grounds for where we're headed in the message. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So Joseph was the most prosperous prison guard there had ever been. God highlights how great of a prison guard he was. And no matter where he went, Potiphar trusted Joseph with all his stuff. The keeper of the prison trusted him with all the prisoners. And now the king, the king trusted him with his house and with his land and with his kingdom. And if you think that you're the authority in your life, all the planning you do will be wasted. Because you have to understand who you're under, whose authority you're living out. And when we understand that, our station is so important. But then we see the supplies are furnished, this second part of the message. The supplies are furnished. Everything you have came from somewhere, right? Everything you have came from somewhere. And you ask kids from various parts of the country where things come from, 
right? In Idaho, you ask them, you know, where did a hamburger come from? And the kids in Idaho will tell you it came from, you know, beef. You ask them that in New York City, they tell you it came from the store, right? They've never seen a cow. There are people in the entire city of New York City who've never seen a cow. They've never seen grass even. Um, And I always let our family know we are privileged to live in God's paradise here in Idaho. Can I just get an amen for Idaho today? Um, Just thank you, God, for Idaho and the way you put us on the map with very few earthquakes and not many hurricanes. Um, Even though some of our buildings have hurricane, hurricane reinforcement but, but the supplies we have have all been furnished by God. We got them from somewhere. And you have never made something out of nothing. Just think about that. You have never made something out of nothing. But God has. Right? You ever hear people who are self-made men, and they talk about, he made a million dollars out of nothing. It's impossible. He made it out of something. God gave him something to start with. There were resources involved. There was a supply chain that took place. Whatever you have has been received. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 7. It has three questions in it. Look over there real quick. Show it to you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 7. You've got to mark this verse. If you've never marked it before, This is a great verse, great principles to teach your family. You wonder why you're different than other people, why you're special, why you have a talent, why you can sing, why you can play a sport. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And I'm sure that you know the answer. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? I'm sure you know the answer to that one too. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? If every good and perfect gift comes from God, why do you claim it like you're the father of it? If every good thing that's ever happened in your entire life comes from somewhere else, why is it that you think it depends on you? And so the supplies furnished. Now Joseph was in a position at this point to receive some incredible things. Now, if you go back to Genesis 40, 41, look at Genesis 41. And uh, we already read this, but look again, it's just so huge. Verse 42 and verse 43. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. That's a big deal. Uh, the king took off his ring and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. The ring and the jewelry, the linen and the garments, the chariots and the chamberlains, none of it was his. It was all assigned to him by the sovereign, by the king. And could I submit to you today that everything you have has been assigned to you by the sovereign God. Your parents. How many got to choose your own parents? Right? I won't ask you to raise your hands if you wish you could choose your own parents. Because you remember the kid I talked about earlier? um, Anyway. Everything you have has been assigned to you by the sovereign God. Your parents, your children, 
Did you know Joseph even got his wife assigned to him by the king? Right? Where'd you get your wife from? Hopefully he got yours from God. I know some people who got it from somewhere else. Right? Your husband. Hopefully he got him from God too. Your ability to work. Uh, your very existence. All of those things are gifts from God. We already read how Joseph went from the dungeon to the throne. And he did it as a manager, not an owner. Nothing at Potiphar's house was his. Nothing in the dungeon was his. Nothing in Pharaoh's house was his. But he now had limitless supplies to use for the benefit of Pharaoh's kingdom. And this is so cool. Nothing that I have is mine. That's just a fact. If we begin to think anything we have is ours, we live in a false reality. Nothing I have is mine. But God, because He's so generous and He's so gracious, He can use all of it and an endless supply more to benefit His kingdom. God allows us to use His stuff to honor Him. Isn't that amazing? And if, you know, you rewrapped a package that you got for Christmas and gave it back to the person who gave it to you, how creative would that be? Right? First of all, you'd be in big trouble for regifting. And if you need any of the regifting rules, just see my wife, she knows them all. And watch out for regifting. So, but if you took, say, your mom and dad gave you a fruitcake for Christmas, that'd be generous, right? And your Christmas morning comes and wrapped under the tree to mom and dad. What is it? Fruitcake. How happy would mom and dad be? Not too happy. You gave the fruitcake back? Oh, we got that fruitcake from North Carolina. Um, you can tell I've had fruitcake before. So um, where are the best fruitcakes from? Anybody want to tell us? From Texas. <laughs> Who said nowhere? I love that person. Who said that? Oh, that was good. Did that make the tape? That was really good. Can I give credit to somebody on that? Or nobody wants to mail it right here? Okay, very good. Where's best fruitcakes from? Nowhere. Love them. Um, but they're not going to be too excited that you gave them their gift back. Here's the cool thing. When you give God his gifts back, it thrills him to no end. Isn't that amazing? When you re-gift, <laughs> this is a funny, funny story. This happened yesterday. Oh, my wife had a family baby shower out in South Nampa with all of her extended family. And she came home with this story. My grandmother, bless her heart, she's not here this morning. Um, my aunt brought to the baby shower some shirts, some special shirts she bought um, at a consignment store from my grandmother. And she brought them to the baby shower and started passing them out. And one of my aunts walked in the room and said, what is she doing with my shirts? She had just taken them to that store earlier in the week. So talk about the rules of regifting people. Now listen to me. God loves it when we take his gifts and say, here you go, God. Use it. He loves that. He's such a good God. He's such a good God to be pleased with receiving what he's already given. That amazes me. And Joseph got to use somebody else's stuff 
to make the kingdom advance. The supplies were all furnished. Then we see this third part, though. The storehouses are filled. The storehouses are filled. This had all started. Pharaoh had had a dream about some corn that ate some other corn and some, um, some cows that ate some other cows. Anybody ever have that dream before? Too much pizza? You're like, whoa, what's happening in my dream? Um, how many of you are dream remembers? Right? How many of you never remember your dreams? Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of there. I just remember sometimes I'd, I wake up and like something weird is going on. My wife said the other night that I was um, whimpering help in my sleep. So I must have been having a dream. Don't know what was happening. I was like, help, help, help. That's exactly what she said I was doing. So she said, are you okay? I said, yeah, fine. Help. I'm fine. No problem. You've had dreams before, people. You, you want me to start talking about your dreams? Um, but Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh's like, what does the dream mean? And so he calls all these guys in and asks all these smart, wise sorcerers, what does the dream mean? Nobody knew. And uh, they called Joseph in from the prison because, you know, the baker or the butler or the candlestick maker or somebody remembered about Joseph. And they called him up and he changed clothes and he goes in before the king. And verse 33... He, tell, he told him the interpretation of the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through famine. Now look at this. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Now, this was all God's providence. And through God's providence, Pharaoh's choice of Joseph to manage his affairs caused Egypt to become a land of plenty. Even during a famine, Joseph was discreet and wise according to Pharaoh's own description. And you can go back through history. You know what you can find out about some kings and rulers? They appointed somebody in the right position and it took them way over the top. There are presidents, you can read back in history, there are presidents who really weren't that great of guys, but they appointed a great secretary of state, or they appointed a great general, or... <laughs> happened. Oh, what happened? <laughs> like I said history, people. I said history. And I don't know what's going on here in the church today. God's blessing us with dreams and visions. Right here is me in church, but... But look, they appointed the right person, or there are some presidents who have appointed the wrong people. Like they've appointed tax cheats to run our finances, or people who don't even understand the stock market, you know, to run the stock market, things like that. That doesn't usually work real well. And, and so who you appoint to run things is huge. And God allowed Pharaoh to appoint the right guy. Joseph came through, look at verse 45. 
we see the nickname again. We see his wife's name again. Look at the last sentence. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So even though he was going to be in charge, he didn't have somebody else go look. He went and looked himself. He wanted a vision for the land. He went out over all the land of Egypt. He saw exactly what was going on in the land. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And you can read what we already read, how he gathered the corn and how he planned this system. And Joseph's deliberate planning for the time of famine is still a model for financial managers to this day. It takes great discipline not to spend everything that's been given to you. Do you know that? Do you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of discipline to spend only what's been given to you. And yet, most Americans, and including America itself, spend more than been given to you. Our country reported the other day that we took in the most tax receipts we've ever taken in. $2.6 trillion in taxes into the federal government. You know what the only problem is? We spent 3.7. Now, if you spend more than you take in, you won't make it very long. Okay, this is basic economics, people. And it's the same way in your family. If you make 40000 a year, but you spend 50000 not going to go well for you. But if you make 40000 a year, and you spend 40000 still not going to go well for you. What if you make 40000 a year? This is crazy. This is wild stuff. What if you spend 40000 a year and you only spend like 24000 of it? Or what if you make 40000 a year and you only spend 32000 of it? Then you will have some extra for next year. Where did that idea come from? From God. From Joseph. Joseph was a great financial manager. And he set aside, we already read, 20% during the years of plenty. Set 20% aside. Do you know that most godly financial advisors will advise you exactly what Joseph did? They say, listen, first of all, give God 10% of his stuff back. You know why? Because he rejoices in that. He blesses you when you remember that he's God and he owns it all. And then after that, set aside 20% in some type of savings and live off 70%. Almost every Christian financial advisor has numbers similar to that. Where do they come from? Came okay, from Joseph. Joseph filled the storehouses because there was a famine coming. We don't know when the famine's coming, but we should be prepared. And so God calls us to plan on purpose. You do not have to be one of the ultra-organizer types to get this concept that Joseph laid out for the king. The hard part of planning usually isn't making the plan. It's keeping the plan. Right? I remember when we were first married, we would sit down every couple months and have a piece of paper and make out, I'd make out this chart, I'd use a ruler, you know. And we, oh, we're going to take this much in and let's line up all the columns. And, you know, I'd go out like five years ahead. If we continue to make this much per month and we pay this much here, 
guess how many times we actually lived by the stinking piece of paper? How about none? We'd come back the next month and make the grand planned again. Planned. The grand planned. <laughs> it rhymes. It's okay. Run with it. Um, some of you aren't even awake to understand that I just made a mistake. So you're good. I love you. Um, but we didn't keep the plan. And, and here's the problem with most of our plans. We don't ever intend to keep them. Is it not foolish to make godly plans that we never keep? That's foolish. But there's something else foolish too. And we see that last. These suggestions are foolish. All of us have been blessed by God in countless ways. Some of us just haven't figured it out yet. There are lots of people, including, including Christians, who think that they own stuff. They don't view themselves as managers. And Jesus told the sad story of a rich fool that lies in dark contrast to the example of Joseph. Look with me over to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to finish up over here. Luke chapter 12. And I'm sure you've heard this, this story before. It's a parable that Jesus told. And it really is a striking contrast to Joseph. Look at Luke 12. Verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And just reading the story yields so much truth to us. It's easy to see that this man had been immeasurably blessed. But he laid aside reality. He forgot that he wasn't the owner of the stuff that was around him. And I tell you from this story, planning is great. It's a task God wants us to do. God loves order. But if our planning is made under the fallacy that we own stuff instead of manage stuff, then our planning's useless. And so before you adjust that budget or you pull out that calendar or set up that day timer, start with this as the foundation. God is the owner. God is the giver. God's the one who's set us over His kingdom. God's the one who's provided us supplies to use for His purposes. I would hate for you to get to the end of your life and realize that everything you've planned is empty. But the Bible says if you live under the sun, which is the entire book of Ecclesiastes, if you live for what's available on this earth, that's exactly what will happen. So add a good dose of God's will to your planning structure. Our life groups had a passage from James today. It's my favorite verse of Scripture. James 4.14 Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. 
You know what the next verse says? It says, listen, if we're going to make plans to do this or that or live, we ought to say, if the Lord will. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. After all, it's His kingdom. It's His stuff. It's His purpose. And when we take over the ownership and the direction of our lives, and we say, listen, it's my life, I'll do whatever I want. It's my money, I'll do whatever I want. It's my family, I'll do whatever I want. We have missed God's call to be stewards. And we'll have nothing left to show for it. Not a thing. The biggest issue is your soul. The rich fool said, soul, you're good. He told his own soul, soul, you're good. The barns are full, got plenty to eat, plenty to drink, got parties coming up. Everything's good. You know what Jesus said? You could gain the whole world and lose your own soul. The soul is the biggest thing that God has given you to manage. It's the biggest one. You could get everything in the world. You could go to all the nicest places, have the best travel, get the best cars, live in the best houses, have all the best clothes. And if you die without Jesus Christ and you never give Him your soul, you've missed why you were made. God made you to have a relationship with Him. Jesus came to this earth for one reason, to die on a wooden cross for your sins. It's the only reason why he came. But pastor, wait, 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 wait. You get to heaven by baptism. No reason for Jesus to come then. If you could get to heaven by getting wet, Jesus didn't need to come. If you could get to heaven by going to church or lighting a candle or standing before a priest or kneeling before a bench, no reason for Jesus to come. Jesus came to save souls. And you are not the owner of your soul. You're the manager of your soul. And you get a choice. You get a choice. I saw a great quote this week. Um, you have power of choice, but you don't have power of consequence. So you get the power to choose, but you don't get to, <laughs> in the end, what's the consequences there? You don't have any power. Your power was in the choice. And you have power today to choose life through Jesus Christ or to say, I'm good. I'll do it my way. I'll live it how I want. It's the biggest choice you could ever make. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow today, we're going to have Mrs. Hain play through a verse of a song in just a minute. Give you a chance to respond to the message if you'd like. But could I ask you this? No one looking around, and I appreciate your patience today. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm one of those people, I do not know where my soul is headed. I'm not sure about things like heaven and hell, or things like eternal life or eternal death. I don't know today. If I died right now, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. With no one looking around, would you slip your hand up so I could pray for you? Pastor, yes. Pastor, would you pray for me? Yes, I'll pray for you. Yes, I'll pray for you. Yes, I'll pray for you. Fred, I want you to know 
the Word of God plainly, clearly tells us that we can have eternal life. If we realize that we're sinners, that we're unable to save ourselves, that the penalty for our sin is eternal death, and Jesus came to wipe it out. Jesus came to pay for the penalty for our sins. Now he offers us the gift of life. We can take the word of God and show you in a few short minutes, right during this time of the service or after the service in a private room or in an office during the week. We'd love to share that with you, how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Christian, could I ask you this? What are you doing with God's stuff? It's his stuff, not yours. What are you doing with it? He loves to get it back. He loves it. It's the greatest form of worship to return seconds of our lives to God, minutes of our lives, talents, gifts, the things He's given us to give it back. Father, would you work today in our midst? Lord, there are those today in this place who are not sure where they'd spend eternity. I pray that you would place in those hearts a hunger and a thirst to know for certain about eternal life. I pray that you would work in the hearts of every believer that we might be managers of your stuff the way Joseph was. To understand it's not our kingdom, it's yours. It's not our resources, it's yours. We've been given a position. Help us to live it out the way you want us to. Guide us in this invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand? As you stand,